Welcome to the Trailbreaker Podcast. I'm Aaron Feinberg. In this podcast, I explore what it takes to be a trailbreaker through intimate conversations with people carving new paths across the landscape of business, art, and sport, we dig in on how to excel across seemingly disparate endeavors. What drives people who manage to succeed multidimensionally? Is it how they think? Is it meticulous planning and follow-through? Or is it some measure of delusional optimism? My guest today is Jake Cohn, a professional skier, founder of the Local Sale and Snow Locals, and a public speaker. We talked about his most recent TED Talk, Think Beyond Your Labels, how to keep great ski gear out of landfills, and his time both delighting and traumatizing small children as the skiing melon bear. Good afternoon, Jake, and thank you so much for joining the show today. Aaron, thanks for having me. It's, it's actually my first podcast, so excited to be here. You're trail breaking. <laughs> I'm trying. So look, I'm excited to talk to you about all sorts of stuff that you've been up to, you know, ranging from your most recent TED Talk to the work you're doing with Local Sale and also your company, Snow Locals. But before we dive in, I want to tell the audience how you and I crossed paths for the first time. I think it's a great story. So, you know, as you probably remember, I don't know how many years ago, maybe six or seven, we crossed each other's paths in Baja surfing. And uh, I remember pulling up into this spot. Uh, I had snuck away from a friend's wedding and uh, decided to go and surf up the East Cape. And I, uh, I remember coming down to the beach and seeing this big easy up tent with all these people underneath it. And it looked like the best camp spot ever. I saw, and you know, inflatable mattresses, I saw coolers and, uh, and there you were with a bunch of your friends surfing. And, uh, and I remember we, we chatted up and re- realized we had some, some similarities and some friends across the ski industry. And then, you know, you were, you were, uh, on a blown or recently repaired knee and, and decided, Hey, let's, let's go, let's go paddle out. And we wound up catching some waves. And, and then that turned to, you know, a couple of years later, you reaching out to, to work together, but I thought it was just such a, an awesome organic way to, to meet both a friend and then a, a future client. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was 2014, um, on the East Cape of Baja. And <laughs> I think that your, your memory is correct. Um, I don't actually remember how like the conversation sparked. I, I do. I know a lot of people down on the surf beaches of the East Cape. Um, everyone talks to everybody. So, you know, if you show up at the beach, you'll, you'll probably make friends. But I do remember we ended up getting in my car to go check another surf spot. And there was like the Baja 1000 happening. And you like may not have been able to get back to your wedding or like to the wedding party. And I was like, oh, you can just crash at our house. So, um, but yeah, <laughs> that was a long time ago, man. Good times. Good times down there. I, you know, I forgot about that part. You're right. The Baja 1000 race was finishing and it was going to, all those trucks were going to come ripping past yeah, yeah. Uh, where we were surfing and it was the only road out. And I remember it was either you or somebody else that said, look, if you don't go by, you know, a certain point this afternoon, you're, you're going <laughs> to, you're going to be staying here. And, yeah. and I think you offered uh you offered a spot on the inflatable mattress if I needed it. <laughs> um, yeah. I think because you left early, right. Didn't you, did you only surf one day? I can't remember. Um, but yeah, yeah. Anyway. And then it was a couple years where I think we were like in contact a little bit, um, you know, for like 15, 16, 17. And then I think 2018, maybe, or somewhere around then I really reached out for like professional help, um, with my speaking career, but 
uh, I remember like, yeah, it was just kind of, I guess how our friends go and I'm happy to be here. Happy, happy it blossomed. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a fantastic, uh, arc and, and it's been fun to, to get to help you on a variety of levels. And, and we're going to get into some of that really amazing speaking engagements you've been up to, including a, a Ted talk that you just did in, in Austria, you know, but I wanted to, uh, first kind of touch on, you know, how did you, how did you go from this pro skier, which you still are? Uh, and obviously we'll get into some of the, <laughs> the businesses that you've created re- around skiing, but then you, you took this leap into, into this world of, of public speaking, which is why you and I originally started working together. And, uh, I just want to touch on, you know, how did you get that bug to sort of get out there and start speaking? And then how did you take it from, you know, something you really hadn't done much of to then, then Ted talk. So let's, let's just start there. Yeah. And, and that's true. I mean, from, from our first time working together from a speech in I think 2019 till the Ted talk, which was in this, this past September, I think the arc is really, maybe it's gone more parabolic because I was, I wasn't very, I wasn't very good. I mean, I was, I was all right, but now I think I'm at a different level, but yeah, I, I think it it all started. So I've had severe asthma my whole life. I was born um, five months or excuse me, five, not five months, five weeks early. Um, So I was a preemie, as you know, or as people may know that the lungs are one of the last things to develop in an infant. And I came out and I couldn't breathe and I was intubated and kind of a, a recipe or a cocktail of, of bad scenarios, you know, growing up at such high elevation in Telluride at 9,000 feet. Um, I was learning to walk with an oxygen tank on. Um, a lot of these things really scarred my lungs where today I have about less than 30% lung function. So <clears throat> it's kind of a bit of a backstory of, of how my asthma got to be where it is. But um, I think the catalyst for like the speaking thing or, or maybe the giving back thing it started was after I knew my competition career was over. It was in um, 2008, I think actually, actually 2009. So in 2008, in, in summer of 2008, I broke my back and almost paralyzed myself. I was in New Zealand, <clears throat> excuse me, in a competition. And I, I, I exploded a burst fracture where, where you explode your vertebrae in my lower back. Consider stand for three months, had to be flown back from New Zealand on a, a private medical jet. It was a total horror story and, and happy to to unpack that more if, if your listeners want to hear it. But um, I was kind of stuck for that year with a broken back and I was thinking of ways maybe I could help people or looking at my scenario and said, I have really bad lungs. And I think I actually got the initial um, light bulb idea of like from a GlaxoSmith commercial or, or magazine ad where there was a biker or a snowboarder or something, just a horrible photo. And I said, I- I'm much better than this guy. Maybe he doesn't even have asthma. I should reach out to these drug companies one thing led to another. I reached out to National Jewish Health, which is the top respiratory hospital in, in America, happens to be in Colorado. And it also happened to be that I've been going there since I was a baby for my asthma. So I reached out to them and they said, oh, this, we love your story. We know who you are. Um, let's, let's see if we can get you into maybe like a news interview or do a piece on you on our website. And that kind of led, one thing led to another where I ended up having a, a huge feature um, advertising campaign around me where they played three years on the Super Bowl. It was in the New York Times like 20 plus times at billboards in Denver. It was really cool. Um, and then with that, I was invited, and this is still like 2013, 14. I was invited to speak at one of their events, which is just a minute speech. And that was actually right after I met you. So I don't know if you remember, I was like, Aaron, I'm actually flying to New York from Cabo to, to go speak at this Airware um, banquet, which is the the 
Foundation in, in New York City, the kind of the branch of National Jewish. Anyway, ended up flying from Cabo to New York, wrote the speech on the plane. It was horrible. It was a minute long. They showed my video. Everybody clapped. Um, and it was a pretty cool experience. It was at like the top floor of the New World Trade Center. Um, I was in the Big Apple with my parents. I I partied way too hard that night with like a billionaire. It was like a great experience. I was like, oh, this is, this is pretty cool. And I think that kind of after that, I was like, okay, maybe I want to explore if this speaking thing is possible. And obviously you have to really walk before you can run or crawl before you can walk even in this industry, in all industries, but this one, especially like you can't just go out and get gigs. Um, I've found, and yeah, I think that's kind of what, what stemmed my interest in speaking and how I got here. And, and then, you know, with help from you and I guess I would call you when you are helping me with speaking, my speaking coach, and then with other things, it's a mentor. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how I got there or how we got here. And, you know, public speaking doesn't come supernatural to anybody. And, you know, watching your trajectory from the video of that, that first engagement in New York city to, yeah. to, to recently, I mean, it's pretty impressive. The, the, the change that you've made, but, but that, that comes when someone commits to the, to the process, they put the time in, they put the reps in without going into all the details about, you know, what we coached you on and yeah. kind of what you practice, but just, you know, what, what kept you motivated, right? Cause it, just to get good at anything. And then under those pressure situations where you're in front of a large group of people and it's showtime, you got to do it. And I think part of you has yeah. that in you cause you can obviously perform in competitions and you, and you've got that, that ability to turn it on when, when need, but, but this is a different way to do it. And so I'm curious about, you know, what kept you kind of excited about it? How'd you get through some of the trickier parts and, and, and what did you sort of, what were any tips and tricks that you used to sort of, to finally get it to click to where you can, you can do a Ted talk. Yeah. I think, I think the, the rush is kind of what attracts me. One of the things that attracts me to it with, excuse me, I'm not, I'm not competing anymore. Um, and I'm not doing the most daring stunts, I should say on skis anymore. Um, so I think that the rush of kind of public speaking is, is exhilarating. It's really exciting. And even I remember practicing, I can practice to a wall or, or to, to you. And then as soon as I got to my parents, I would, I would black out. And then I had to do a test run with some of the Ted organizers and I like fumbled a little bit. So I think, you know, repetition and you have to want to do it. Like it, I, I kind of in, embraced the nerves, like, yeah, I was scared shitless before my TED talk. Everyone's there. It's this beautiful venue. You know, it's catered. There's people have spent money to be there. Tickets were like 200 euros. It was, it was a fancy event and, and they had screened you. They had made sure that you'd practice. They expect you to perform at your kind of highest level. Um, so yeah, I was, I was shaking. I was shit in my pants and, <laughs> um, it was almost kind of, kind of like in, a in, uh, in old school, that movie where, uh, where uh, Will Ferrell gets up and he's like, I blacked out. I don't know what happened. Like, was it, I got off stage and I said, was it good? Like, how'd I do? And I was like, yeah, it was great, Jake. And I'm like, I blacked out. So um, it was definitely my, my biggest venue. And, and it, it was a different type of talk as well. Cause I was, you're on the little Ted circle and, and there's all these bright stage lights in your face. So all you see is black. So you're like, a, you know, under the microscope there. And uh yeah, I'm, I'm happy it went well. I, I feel a lot kind of like a weight lifted off my shoulders and I'm excited to do more. And I've started to send it out to some of the speaking bureaus I work with and 
hopefully some of the hospitals can, you know, repost it or share on social media. So I can do more of these because it is, it is fun. Um, you know, there's kind of the extremes of, of either end. There's people who want to do two or three speeches a week and fly around the country. I don't know if I'm that, that sounds like a lot of road time, but you know, maybe one or two a month, um, in some cool destinations would be fun. I'm not, you know, ecstatic to go to a comfort inn in Milwaukee and speak on behalf of something, but if I had to, I would. So I, I think, yeah, no, it just seems like a new, uh, pretty cool adventure. And, and you've got a lot of, a lot of interesting things that you've, you've cut your teeth on everything from your, your trajectory as an athlete with asthma, which I think in and of itself is a great story that goes in a lot of different it's, angles. You know, you've got your, your trajectory from pro athlete into entrepreneur and a couple different, you know, ventures. And I think you've also, you know, you've got, I think there's the multiple as, uh, aspects of the entrepreneurship things you do, right? So you've got, you know, this, this business local sale, which I want you to tell us a little yeah, bit yeah, about. Well, sure. And, 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 and uh, you know, it works for both the consumer, right? People getting new gear from you know, a pro who, just needs a place to, to get rid of it. But then it also does great work for the environment, which is yep. like keeping the stuff out of the landfills and, and, and getting, you know, getting gear, good gear into people's hands that they'll use it. So maybe let's, let's go there. So you local sale is one of your businesses. So yeah. Give us a little color as to how that started and, and kind of where it's at. Well, I think, yeah, I'll, I'll give you the kind of the, the background quick version. Cause a lot, it's been through a lot of uh, different changes, I should say. But essentially, um, um, my old business partner and I in Vancouver, we, we were friends at UBC and we were, we had just boxes of stuff from our sponsors. And we said, I, I, you know, I need to think of a way to get rid of this. And, and in Colorado in the early mid two thousands, when I was still in high school, the old pros like Simon Dumont and Peter Olenek and those old, older pros that, you know, they're my age they're a little older than me, but they used to have a big kind of yard sale, like pros yard sale at one of the houses on the hill. And I never went to it, but I always saw it on, on Facebook. Uh, a couple years after that, you know, I, I don't know what happened to it, but I kind of had the light bulb of, you know, maybe we could have like a pro sale. So my friend and I, we, we literally hung an extension cord between two trees at UBC, not even on like a main strip, just on like some back corner. We asked a friend's apartment, hung our stuff up and sold a little bit of stuff. The next year we reached out to some more athletes in Whistler, um, some of the bigger names like Mark Abma and stuff. And, and everyone, you know, needed this kind of venue to move stuff. So we did a few years of this really yard sale style. And then we said, Hey, why don't we, we see if we can get a, a better venue. And we went to the university and, and if you want to sell anything with the university, they want a, a big chunk of whatever you're making. So we went to the fraternity and kind of found this, this loophole where fraternities are privately owned. So we went to a fraternity on campus and said, Hey, you know, can we rent your venue for a day? And, and this venue, this specific venue at UBC in Vancouver just happened to have like a bus stop right in front of it. It was kind of like main drag campus. And that, that year was 2013, I think maybe 2012. And it was just bananas. Like we just thought everything was being stolen. We didn't have enough people helping us. And we just started, it was the year square came out or maybe the year after. So we, we bought a square card reader and plugged it into our headphone jack on our phone. And we were so excited. I remember that like I bought a beanie from myself to test it. And it was so cool that I could swipe a credit card on my phone and it went into our bank account. And I was like, this is amazing. So we had a sale that year and, and it was pretty successful. And then we said, Hey, well, why don't we try to go to all these ski hotbeds around North America? 
And our, our vision at the time was to show up with just kind of like a backpack, fly to Denver, collect stuff, give it back, and then go to the next city. So we, for a few years, flew around to Salt Lake City, Denver, Seattle, Reno, and had these pop-ups, um, which sort of worked, not really a lot of stress, a lot of getting gear and then giving it all back, the stuff that you didn't sell, which in hindsight didn't make any sense. So then we're like, why don't we get a truck and we can drive the stuff that doesn't sell to the next spot and maybe it will sell there. Um, so we did that. And, and in between all these spots just so happens to be places like Jackson Hole or Boise or Breckenridge or Bend, Oregon or Bellingham or, where, you know, all these little towns where we can stop and have pop-ups. So we'd partner with uh, breweries or distilleries and show up there and make it kind of a block party event. Food trucks would come out. We'd have athletes. We'd, um, we'd have after parties, even though we really wouldn't show up at them. We'd, we'd have the ski clubs provide them. We'd work with the universities. So it, it turned into this um, cross-country tour where we'd do two in Canada and about 20 in the United States. And it was, it was kind of like, you know, being, we had two U-Hauls, a team of like eight to 10 people, Airbnb in every spot, eating takeout food, not, not exercising, not, not getting ready for the winter, but it was, it was pretty fun. Um, and then I moved to Europe ended up doing one in Innsbruck, Austria and, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I was kind of impressed that I could go to a place where I don't speak the language, not even my country and, and make this sale work. Um, and then COVID happened and I said, Hey, well, I still have all these connections and all this gear. Why don't I, um, try to do this online? So last year I, bought a shipping container and put it at my parents' house in Telluride where I was stuck for COVID. And I'm sure people listening know that, you know, or can imagine with my respiratory disease, I was literally a bubble boy. Like I couldn't see anybody. I stayed on our property in Telluride for basically a year. Um, you know, grew out a beard, bleached my hair. I was, I was kind of going crazy. Actually, I was full going crazy. I won't <laughs> lie at all. I was like, I was getting help, you know, talking to people. I was kind of losing my mind. Um, I remember I was talking yeah. a couple of times. And <laughs> I, I definitely called you. Yeah. I even called you about a girl. Like I was, I was not in a good space. Um, but you know, that being said, it is always good to talk to friends and talk to people if, if you have a, like I did, but um, I guess the, the dark is it's always darkest before the dawn or whatever that phrase is in Batman. Anyway, back to the sale, I, I ended up getting a shipping container <laughs> Um, hiring two friends to drive everything down. I had kind of shipping containers spra sprawled across the country. I had one in, in Seattle. I had one in Salt Lake. I had one in Denver. So I kind of had all those to send to Telluride. Um, two of my friends camped in my backyard and we literally fed them on trays because they couldn't come in the house. And we did this kind of inventory push and I I learned how to build e-commerce store by myself with photo studio, the everything that goes into tagging and, and um, collections and there's a lot on the back end, and thankfully Shopify, the platform I use is, is really makes it easy, but there's still a lot I needed to learn. And I'm not literally a tech, you know, I don't, I don't code as they say. So yeah, that's kind of where we are now. Um, I had two partners come in to the business in, in last winter in March, 2021. And, um, we raised some money and, and are able to buy, buy gear, um, from people and from brands and, yeah, like you said before, though, there's kind of a business kind of concepts twofold, but we're helping these athletes clear out stuff that they may not use um, by recycling gear, getting it out of their closet, um, but also getting it into hands of people who who may not be able to afford it. Like the barrier to entry to for skiing is incredibly high. Gear is incredibly expensive. You know, lift tickets are 
absurd. We don't even need to go there. But if we can, like, I have, I started screenshotting the the messages and comments I get about people like, oh, you know, I'm just a nurse in, in Bend, Oregon. Um, thank you for this. You know, you're helping me be able to keep skiing or like people are really excited. And we ended up doing a, our first pop-up, um, well, since, you know, 2017, this year in Boulder, and it was bananas. People were really excited to have us back. They just wanted a place to get good, cheap gear and have people tell them about gear. Like not some salesman at REI where you walk in and they're just trying to sell you on anything. Like they want people to be honest with them. Like we have everything from brand new 2022 skis to really use skis that you would only buy for street jibbing, you know, that have no edges. So we kind of have everything and we, we only have really like one of each item and some of it's yeah, really used $5 hoodie to brand new touring bindings. But we're really kind of leading. Yeah. Yeah. And and I like uh, having looked at the site uh, just for curiosity. And then also there were, there were a few things I was maybe trying to find for myself or, or, or friends. I like the rating system you have on there. So it's like, you know, how used. Yeah. The use scale. Here, right. So like 10 out of 10 is it's perfect. And you know, no, no, no. The other way around. So okay. this is actually really confusing. I've, okay. I'm sorry to, to anyone listening. I had to make a decision and I kind of went with usage scale. Okay. Um, so maybe I should, you know, change that, but I, zero of 10 is brand new. And then 10 to 10 is most used. Cause I wanted something that I didn't want to have to do 10 of 10, like perfect. Cause people may still think it's used. So I wanted something to be zero, which if it's zero, if there's no scale, um, it's new. And then if it's one of 10, it's, it's very lightly used. And then 10 to 10 is the most used it's beat. So okay. it's, it's 50, 50. I've had people say, this makes sense. I've had people say, I never do. Why do you have it this way? But I had to make a decision. I can't change now because I'd have to change all everything, but that's, that's what we're working with. Well, that's actually a fantastic clarification because I, I had it completely reversed and uh, now, I need to go back, <laughs> now I need to go back on the site to see yeah. things I had checked off my list are actually what I really want. Um, it makes sense. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was great. I, uh, and I also think, you know, having somebody who knows really how, like someone who is an expert or a pro who really can rate this gear and go, yeah, right, yeah like looking at this thing. No, this is just cosmetic. Like, this yeah, is- yeah, like top sheet damage. Who, who cares? Right. Who cares? Funny, versus, you know? <laughs> versus this is like, this is completely beat. <laughs> yeah. I, I added the a chat feature to the site like three weeks ago. And it's just, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of chatting. People are asking <laughs> questions all the time. So it, it's good, but it's, uh, it's, you know, it's just me running it. Um, so next year I'm going to have to get some help. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're excited. We, we partnered with protect our winters this year. Um, so we'll be doing a lot of work with them other than just donations and sign up. Um, you know, we're their lowest level donor, but we're still donating to them. And, and I think anything we can to show that we are environmentally focused, you know, that's, it's a big part of it with recycling. You know, we, we do have new products, but it's, there, there's so much gear out there. And then there's the whole other level of peer-to-peer, which I'm not really at that level yet, but I, I have people ask me every day how they can sell stuff on the site. And I have to tell them it's only for pro or AMS, but if there was an option where people could drop stuff off or list theirs, you know, you know, obviously there's eBay and Craigslist and Facebook marketplace and all these other um, avenues to, to sell things peer-to-peer, but I'd get asked all the time. So I, I don't know if it'll or happen, but I just know there's a ton of gear from, influencers, photographers, pro athletes, you know, people that work in brands, people that have are switching jobs in 
if you work for a brand, you get a lot of stuff for a pretty heavy discount. And then you go work at, if you worked at, you know, North Face, and then you go to Mountain Hardware, you have a whole new outfit of stuff. So there's many levels or layers, I should say, of, of, of places or, or people we can get gear from. And brands have this problem too. And, you know, no brand wants to end up on, you know, Sierra Trading Post or a Moose Jaw. Right. So hopefully we can um, kind of fill that gap a little. Oh, dude. And <laughs> we made the, we have our little pirate logo. And I, I organically saw a pirate in the, in the wild yesterday driving. It was like the coolest thing. It would be like if, if I saw my, my logo on like a subway, like someone wearing it on, on the train or on the bus, but I saw one on the back of a guy's car and I was, Fantastic. I was stoked dude. I started screaming. Well, and, and that was where I was going is, is if folks want to find the local sale, how do they, how do they log in? How do, where do they, find yeah. It? Type in localsale.com. Okay. I'm sorry about this double S I know it may be the death of me. Um, locals sale. There are two S's not locals, local sale, but yeah, descri- more describing that in person. It's, it's confusing, but locals sale.com, um, locals underscore sale on Instagram. Um, I need to kind of up my social game since it is just me running everything. I don't post as frequently, but we have a lot of good content. You know, if you message me, I'll, I'll respond back to you, but. Perfect. Um, and so the, the other business that you've been up to, uh, for quite a while is, is snow locals and, and would love to, to hear a little bit about where that came from, where it's going, and uh, and then for sure how folks can kind of uh, check in with you about about what Snow Locals is all up to. Yeah, yeah, Snow Locals is um, for the, for the customer. We do custom trips and guided trips to Japan. I've been going to Japan f- since 2010, and um, I've done everything from hike, taxi, skin, ferry, train, plane, boat whatever means of transportation to find the best snow there. There are over 500 ski resorts. There used to be over a thousand. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing. And then on the other end, we also do a lot of work for brands or the tourism board of Japan. Um, so it's kind of like a hybrid advertising agency slash a travel agency um, that just, we want to bring people to Japan and show them how amazing it is. And that kind of started uh, the similar way of, of, I didn't go in, go to Japan thinking, Hey, I'm going to start, a travel agency or, or start a, an, an advertising agency, I'm just going to go ski pow for free. And similar to the local sale, I just wanted to sell my gear that I had because I had way too much of it. I didn't know it was going to turn into like this e-commerce store that now I was taking up all my time and I have investors. I, <laughs> I, um, I went over there. I was working for a blog called Unofficial Networks and I was uh, running the Whistler site and they wanted to start Unofficial Japan. So I, I went over there with them for a week and that that year we went up to Hokkaido and I had, we were making handicam videos, just like little promo video or little daily videos about us skiing. And one of the, the marketing people for the, one of the resorts in Hokkaido asked us if we could make them a promo video with our content. And I was like, sure. So I went home and used our, our footage, added like a smash mouth soundtrack, like super bladoopy, just something I would never, you know, even show anyone these days. And, and the marketing director loved it. It was like the greatest thing anyone ever given him. He brought it to all the trade shows. He, it, it, he was ecstatic. So the next year we were invited back to make another one. And over a couple of years that grew and grew for us working with other resorts to getting a bit of a production budget. Cause at first it was just, we were, you know, for food lodging and tickets, we would make them a video. Then that was like, Hey, you know, can you pay us a little bit for this video? Hey, we can you know run your social media to Westerners. And, 
they didn't really know how to market to Westerners. I don't think they still do that being the Japanese. And they had a lot of advertising from like the nineties mm-hmm. and they really like skiing corduroy, you know, the, the Japan, there's not as, as much powder stoke over there. It's starting a bit more, but there, there isn't, you know, a powder crazy skiers as there is in, in Western countries or in North America or Europe. So we started making promo videos for a couple of resorts. And at that same time, when I was still working for an official, we would put the, the videos and the content on the website and people would message us saying, Hey, this looks amazing. How do we go ski that? And we got enough of these messages. And my brother was like, Hey, why don't we just start a travel agency and start sending people to Japan? So that was a whole nother thing to learn. Like how are we going to start a travel agency? How are we going to do currency conversion? How are we going to pay the Japanese? How are we going to reserve rooms? Like, and they don't have like a central booking system in Japan. They still take bookings on a piece of paper and put it in like a filing cabinet for the next year. They don't have electric keys. It's, it's like pretty behind the times for, for a booking system or something that we wanted to try to do with a travel agency. So with a lot of determination, we began to send people to Japan and we would guide a couple clients every year. And at the same time, so we'd have one or two, maybe two or three weeks of guiding. And then the rest of the time in Japan would be for, for video work where we'd be doing work with brands. Um, we'd be doing work for the tourism board of Japan, which was a recent contact of like 2016. We've done everything. We've had a women's only yoga week for a couple of years where we rented houses, vans, had a bunch of ladies over to yoga. We had brand weeks. We had homey weeks where friends would come and rent the house. We had a ski magazine media week where our, we had a, a PR firm helping us and they organized a media week with journalists and photographers and sponsors. And I mean, the company wears many, <laughs> we've, we've, we've done a lot of things over there. I was a Japanese mascot once. I was a, I was Melon Kuma. I was a skiing melon bear, which was one of the highlights of my life because I may be the only gaijin to ever be a Japanese mascot. And I was under no circumstances allowed to take off the head. And sometimes I fell and it felt like sometimes that when I would fall, the head would pop off and, and kids would scream. They'd scream, gaijin, gaijin, oh my God. And it was like, I just ruined their life. And they would chase us. They would, Melon Kuma is kind of like a celebrity. He was actually on John Oliver. Um, He's in a Yubari region. It's this melon-rich region of Hokkaido. And they were, Hokkaido used to have a bunch of bears before the Japanese killed them all. But so this, we met the, the founder. He just put melon and put bear together and, and invented a melon bear. And he's hilarious. And, and so, so I got to just jump in here for a second. Yeah, yeah. Because I have seen these videos before, <clears throat> and I thought you guys were just filming somebody else skiing. No, that was me. <laughs> it was amazing. I can send you some or put some in the bottom. Like, like dude... I would make kids cry. Kids, so and there are so many funny like side stories to this story. One of them that the Japanese word for cute is kawaii, and the Japanese word for scary is kawaii. Like the same word, it's just like one you know accent different. So they would yell kawaii bear or kawaii bear, and we didn't know. We didn't know. We just thought they were saying cute bear, but then they would run up and start crying or like run away and hug their mom, and we're like, why are they running away from us? We're cute. Turns out kawaii scary and cute in the japanese language are very similar um but yeah it was it was a week of fun it was i think the the thing i like about our trips to japan most and i'm out there usually for all january and all february is just the amount of laughter like japan is the strangest place i've ever been it it makes either like perfect sense or no sense at all like the you know the timing and the efficiency of the trains and the transport and 
and food and how and that stuff is is really efficient. Or on the other end of the spectrum, like the ambulance drivers wear helmets. Like there's just some Japanese ridiculousness, for lack of a better word, that that is unless you grew up there. When we find hilarious, and we'll never fit in. But I think that you know, two months a year in Japan is just you're laughing all day. Everything's a cartoon. Everything's yelling at you in, in Japanese in like a good way, in like an electronic, like, you know, the ski lifts are talking to you. Everything's talking to you. The bathroom, um, the, bathrooms the, and the toilet the, seats, the ba- toilet seats yeah. are, I don't know if we should give that away. If you haven't been to Japan, the moment you land in Japan, I want you, you to go into a Japanese restroom and use the toilet seat. You will be pleasantly surprised. Totally. Um, I, was, I spent two, just over two weeks in Hokkaido a couple of years oh, ago skiing amazing. and, uh, and yeah, it was unbelievable. The people were so welcoming. I I didn't spend any time in Tokyo. I know that's also an awesome place to go, uh, but we just went right to Hokkaido, and I, you know, just the beautifulness of the of the landscape and the ruralness and the and the variety of food. I didn't realize that Japanese culture uh, or cuisine was just so wide. Oh, I mean, so Japanese sushi, and- dim sum, or not dim sushi. There's curries. There's um, there's like yakis. Yeah, there's noodle dishes. There's um, gyoza. There's a, yeah, there's a lot, there's all sorts of them. Yeah. It was just a, it was amazing. The powder skiing was unbelievable, but just That's a all, the, all these other things that I didn't expect. Cause I didn't, you know, like most things I don't yeah. research anything. <laughs> I, just, I just jump right in. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, I need to, I need to be a, a snow local, but that's so, so as you were well, telling me about, about some of these, you know, the businesses, uh, you know, the thing that, and I learned a bunch actually, because, you know, there's obviously, you know, certain things we just never got into, but it, it's, it reminds me of something I studied when at University of Vermont and some of the entrepreneurship, small business classes, which is like, you know, when you're building out a small business or, or any business for that matter, but definitely small business, it's like the ability to, to take it in other directions, right. To, yeah. to create something that's not so, you know, narrow and, and, and independent. Right. And it's just like, uh, you know, so that's great, but it's also, I think even more important is what you and at times your, you and your brother, you know, were willing to just go and explore and try and like to just, to just kind of go for it and leap. And I think that that, that is such a important factor in making stuff happen. Yeah. I think we got, I don't want to say luck, but Japan is kind of a very unique place where it's very hard to navigate. They don't speak much English. Like it's not like you're planning a ski trip to Vail. So I think as long as they speak Japanese, we're going to have a, there's going to be a need for, for our business. Um, and, and we've seen it blow up, you know, from, from 2010, 11, when I was there, I'd be the only person on, on the bus in, in Hakaba going to a place called Cortina. And now it's just hacked with, with white people, um, which is great. You know, hopefully we have helped with that explosion, but sometimes like, Oh, uh, we still have our secret spots. I think every, everyone's got to have their secret spots, but uh <laughs> Yeah, it's been fun. And and th- things have not worked, like you said, you know, like uh, the yoga week, we learned that unless you're teaching the yoga or you own the house, it's really hard to make money on a, on a yoga retreat. Um, and, booking- and I think, and I think that that's actually something I wanted to dig into, uh, just, you know, uh, not to make you air dirty laundry, but, but, no, no, go for you it. know, I, there's always these lessons learned, right? So anything that you felt like, you know, you guys blew up for yourselves, um, that you think people could, could you know benefit from or 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 avoid falling in their own holes anything you want to share about these various experiences that you that you think uh you wouldn't do again yeah i mean even going back to to 
you know, on the first business we touched on a local sale, like flying to one, one location and not trying to transport this gear. Like, I don't know why we tried to do that for a few years. There's, I think there's things that you look back and you're like, wow, that didn't make any sense. Like for, for this year, I'm, I'm renting a warehouse in Boulder. Um, and, and I've been Airbnb and luckily I'm in a hotel right now. And that's a whole different story because I'm in a fight with Airbnb, but I've been bouncing around Airbnbs all fall really expensive. Boulder is crazy expensive. I should have just rented a house for the five or six months or however long I need this warehouse here, lived in the house and run the fulfillment and all the gear there. Like, I don't know why I didn't think of that. So I think you think of these ideas after the fact and like, Oh, that would have been great. But in in terms of snow locals, yeah. Like, you know, we tried the women's only there's things that that on paper look like they're going to work, but things always happen and come up. Like nothing is ever going to go perfectly in, in whatever you do in life. Like whatever, especially in my life, whenever I have a plan, it's like, let's have a plan, a straight line. It's just going to veer off and go somewhere else. So just, I think transport in Japan was a big one that we learned. Like people want to be able to, to go places and, and for the yoga specifically on, on this case study, we, we didn't have enough vans. So we were always taking time from our other week that we were, we were guiding someone where we'd have to take their van and go pick up people from one house and drive them into town for dinner, whatever that was. So that was a big eye-opener make sure and 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 that goes to when i'm planning trips for people when i'm building someone a custom trip in my crazy add squirrel brain i want to send them to all the places you know one day here one day here night travel here no that's not realistic do two or three places what maybe two they don't want to move around it's a schlep moving with skis like so i think maybe whatever it's not always what is best for you and people are going to have fun especially in Japan. Like I've been to, I've been there the last 10 years. Well, not the last, not last year, but you know, from 2010 to 2020, every year, two months I was in Japan. So places that I may not think are the best place anymore. Cause I've skied there so much, or maybe they're more crowded than, than the other place where it's my secret spot. I would be like, I don't want to send people here. And, and my brother would have to say, Jake, that that's crazy. You know, they're going to love it. This is their first time in Japan. Like, and, and they're not expert skiers or yada, yada. So I think, Maybe to answer your question, um, you know, from 50,000 feet, it's, you don't always have to look at things on how you would like it. Like, it's not always what, what is best for you. Um, and maybe take a broader view of, of the whole situation and say, what's best for the client. Yeah. I think that that, that is universal. And it actually came up, you know, when we were talking about getting you ready for some of these public speaking events is, is you know, we're all, we're all as humans, right. By nature, right. In order to stay alive and survive, we got to be somewhat or, or a lot self-focused, but whenever we can flip it, right. And we can make yeah. it about other people yeah. and we can, you know, whether it's as leaders and we can really demonstrate that, that, that leadership for others in you know, the service sort of leadership. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't reduce your power. You gain it all. Or, or as a speaker, when you're, when you're tailoring stuff for what the audience needs to hear versus what you want to share, right. Or in coaching, right. Making it about the client and really creating that space for them to, to sort of bring up their own, their own knowledge and their own solution. So uh, universally, I think it's a great, yeah. great concept is, is make it about the other and, and, or meet people where they're at. Like if, <laughs> with your, with your ski example, right. You can meet them where they're at. You can bring them where they yeah. where they want to go, and then let them tell you, "Hey, hey, we want to go exactly. this, this other spot." Yeah, no, it, it, that's that's totally true. And I think I am, you know, part of just how I'm wired is I always want to tell the coolest or best story or, or be that guy. But 
I was pretty nervous, you know, when you bring up speaking with this example, and I remember talking to you about this, I was pretty scared. You know, there's, I'm like, there's going to be people up there talking about blockchain and cloud computing and all this stuff. I was like, who's going to care about like an asthmatic skier? And, and there was people, there was people talking about all sorts of stuff. There was a talk on blockchain. There was a talk on the cloud. There was a talk on crypto. There was a talk on all sorts of things. You clip crypto is blocked. But so I, I think I, I navigated that. I did all right. You know, I felt after my talk that that fits in um, where before I was maybe a bit more nervous, not a bit. I was very nervous that I wasn't going to hold up because I didn't have a story. And then if you make it about the audience or about how anyone can relate, which is what I did at the end of the talk. And for you guys listening, please go watch it. You're going to have to watch it. It's only 10 minutes. Um, I think you'll enjoy it. I think everyone can relate. And, and I don't, you know, the first bit's about me a little bit to introduce me, but I think I, I, you know, I talk more about me with my disease and then I, I bring it into a, a global issue about how everyone's labeled. So. Yeah. What's it, what's it called? I mean, we'll, we'll do a link in the, uh, yeah, in the, the notes in the, to the, to the podcast you're doing today, but what's it called and, uh, and, and where can they find it? You can Google Jake Cohn TED Talk or Jake Cohn TEDx. It's on the, the TED website. Um, it's on the TEDx YouTube. There's, I think, millions of videos on there now, though, so don't go scrolling. But yeah, if you just Google Google my name and TED, it'll, it should be probably the first one. And what's your talk called? Think Beyond Your Labels. Awesome. Awesome. And um, uh, before we move too far past it, what's the best way to check out the Snow Local site? Yeah, so, so you can go to snowlocals.com. Um, there's a ton of info on there about Japan. You can even navigate through there, see some of our videos. Um, there's a YouTube. You can go to Snow Locals Instagram, which has a, a ton of content, just pretty much action pow. Um, but yeah, you know, you can send us a message. Definitely, you can read our story on Snow Locals. You can we give we give away a lot about resorts in Japan on there. So you know, if you want to plan your own trip, go in there and learn as well. But yeah, we, you know, if you're interested in going to Japan, they're going to be closed this year again, which is really unfortunate. And I think 2023 is going to be just explosion. It's going to be bananas. Everyone's pent up. They want to go ski pow in Japan. We already have all of our bookings from 2021 and this year, 2022 rolled over to 2023. So it's going to be madness. Um, and yeah, you know, if you, if you want to trip, send us a message. We're happy to, to work some out with you. Maybe we can even guide you. We have a lot of other pro skiers that we work with that are also guides. Um, so it'll be fun. Fantastic. Well, Jake, look, I really appreciate you jumping on the show with me today. Uh, your, your stories <laughs> that you're actually out literally telling, and then all the cool things you've done with your businesses. It's, uh, it was great to, to see some and hear some details on those and, uh, look all the best this winter. And, uh, I'm sure we will cross paths soon enough. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm this is uh yeah, like I said, my first podcast. So hope, uh, maybe in, in five more, if we do this in five years, I'll be, I'll be fine tuned again, like my speaking career. Oh no, you crushed it. Well, look, uh, I, all the best and, um, and have a good rest of your day. Yeah, Aaron. Thanks, man. We'll put uh, all the info to everything in the, in the description below. So oh, um, yeah, arigato. Yes. Uh, have a good one. The Trailbreaker Podcast is created by Aaron Feinberg with production support provided by Michael Morey. More interviews and videos can be found at aaronfeinberg.com.